We're going to look at uh, the character and story of Joseph this morning. Way, way back, many... If it's good enough for Andrew Lloyd Webber, it's good enough for us as an intro. <laughs> Don't stop there. I'm not going to preach this morning. I'm going to do a one-man recreation of the Joseph musical. Let's go. Although Jules always wanted to be the narrator in Joseph, so I'll have to invite him for that bit. Um, the, obviously, the story of Joseph covers about seven chapters of the Bible, so I'm not going to read all of that today. But Isabel is just going to come and read the story from... Uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible, and then we'll look at something from the NIV version as well. So if I just clear some space for you as well, you come up here. You stand and read. I'll hold it for you. You just go for it, okay? Jacob had 12 sons, but of all his sons, Joseph was his favourite. One day, Jacob gave Joseph a splendid new robe. It was beautiful and rich with all the colours of the rainbow, but it made Joseph's brothers jealous. They wanted rich rainbow robes too. Then, to make matters worse, Joseph kept on having these special dreams. I dreamed I was the greatest. I was king, Joseph told his brothers, and you all bowed down to me. I'm sure, you know, even if Joseph didn't, that telling your brothers things like that isn't a very good idea. Joseph's brothers hated him even more. They wanted to kill Joseph and his dreams, and one day that's exactly what they tried to do. They tore Joseph's rainbow robe off him and sold him to slave traders for 20 pieces of silver. The traders took Joseph to Egypt and made him into a slave. The brothers went home and lied to their father, telling him that Joseph was dead. That's the end of that dream, as they thought. But they were wrong. God had a magnificent dream for Joseph's life. And even when it looked like everything had gone wrong, God would use it to help make the dream come true. God would use everything that was happening to Joseph to do something good. Meanwhile, though, things were not looking good for Joseph in Egypt. He was far from home and from his dad. Then he got blamed for something he didn't do. And even though he had done nothing wrong, he was punished and thrown into jail. But God had not left Joseph. One night, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had a scary dream about thin cows gobbling up fat cows. What on earth did it mean? He didn't know, but Joseph was a dream expert, so Pharaoh sent for him. It means a famine is coming, Joseph explained. There won't be enough food. Pharaoh was so pleased by Joseph's skill that he immediately took Joseph out of jail and made him into a prince. Now, back home, Joseph's brothers had run out of food and everyone was hungry. God's special family was in danger. If they didn't get food soon, they would starve to death. So Joseph's brothers travelled to Egypt to buy food. They came and knelt before the new prince. His brothers didn't know that the prince was Joseph, but God knew who they were. Joseph knew who they were. Joseph's dreams, the one about his brothers bowing down to him, was coming true. It's me, Joseph cried. When they saw it was Joseph, his brothers were afraid. They had wronged Joseph. They had sinned and they knew it. Now, Joseph would certainly punish them. But Joseph looked at his brothers and his eyes filled with tears. Even though his brothers had hurt him and hated him and wanted him dead, in spite of everything, he couldn't stop loving them. His heart, which they had broken, filled up with love, and Joseph forgave them. Joseph threw his arms around them. 
Don't be afraid, he said. Behind what you were doing was, was some, doing something God was doing. Underneath everything that was happening, God was doing something good. God was making everything right again. Joseph didn't punish them, he rescued them. He brought God's special family to live safely with him in Egypt. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, Isabel. That's fantastic. My time like has died, so I'm going to use the handheld for a second before we get it sorted. Um, I'm also going to read a little bit from the NIV in uh, Genesis 50. And if we have the first slide up, Anna. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive him this, forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When the message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. We've heard this story as read in the, in the Jesus Storybook Bible. You've read it yourself. We've seen it in musicals. It's a very famous story. But there's a significant lesson I think we would do well to learn. And so we're going to focus on verse 20. We're going to focus on this idea of that what people intend for harm, God can use for good. And we can see that truth for Joseph. We see in his life because we see the story. We see the end result. But can we be confident that that truth is applicable and relevant to us in our lives? Can we be sure that harm done to us, difficulties we experience, things that go wrong are for good and not just for harm. Can we have that same confidence? Well, that's really what we're going to look at today. And we're going to start just reminding ourselves really of the harm that was done to Joseph. It's a familiar story, but I want us to get past the familiarity to realize this guy really did suffer. He may have been cocky, He may have been unwise in sharing his dreams. He may have been the favorite son. He may have had a fabulous coat, which made his brother jealous. But he still was treated very badly by them. He was betrayed. They wanted to murder him. They wanted to kill him. Just imagine that for a second. Your siblings wanting to kill you. (laughs) Siblings in the room looking at each other trying to assess whether that's an accurate situation. But just imagine the level of rejection that you would live with if that happened to you. The people who are meant to protect you and love you reject you. You live with that for the rest of your life. They were trying to kill him and not look after him. In Potiphar's house, falsely accused of doing naughty things with Potiphar's wife. He'd done nothing wrong. His reputation is in tatters. He ends up in prison. And not only does he end up in prison, but he gets completely forgotten about in prison. He interprets dreams for bakers and butlers and says, remember me when you get back in to the presence of Pharaoh, and he forgets him. So he stays in prison for another two years. He received undeserved punishment. 
He had a tough life. It was difficult for him. It was challenging for him. We will experience harm and difficulty. Some due to the nature of this world, this fallen world, this sinful world. Some due to sinful people directly causing it towards us. Some due to our own sin, our own mistakes and our own errors. And Jesus promised us that would be the case. John 16.33 says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world you will have trouble. Sometimes we're surprised in our comfy Western lifestyle when things go wrong. We shouldn't be surprised. Jesus promised it. He said there will be trouble. There will be difficulty. And this isn't the most positive way to start a preaching message. I'm not getting you on the side with a humorous anecdote or telling you something wonderful. But it's a fundamental truth that shapes our lives and needs to be a foundation for how we view this world. We need to have a realistic, biblical view of the world. It helps us process life. It helps us understand God more. And it helps us live for him better. And we can be encouraged that Jesus himself, the Son of God, suffered greatly. He gave up his glory to come to this earth, and he didn't live it floating around with nothing happening to him that was negative. He came to this world. He wasn't exempt. He suffered similarly to Joseph. He was betrayed. He was falsely accused. He was forgotten, and he definitely received undeserved punishment on the cross. That's our saviour. That's the son of God. That's what he experienced. And we're surprised when life doesn't quite go our way. When life's a little bit tough. But we've seen in this passage that God brings about good from harm. So the question here is, can pain be positive? Can pain be positive? Again, we're in a world where we just avoid pain. We don't want to go near pain. But actually, that's not true. Actually, I'd like to suggest that in many areas of life, we embrace pain because of the results it produces. Many years ago, I damaged my Achilles tendon. I went to a physio, and he discovered that the damage bit was on the pressure points on the back of my Achilles tendon. In order to make it better, he had to press on that pressure point and massage the scar tissue. I was ne- I've never been in so much voluntary pain in my life. I've never given birth. I'm not putting it up in that sort of category, of course. <laughs> All I'm saying is that I willingly lay there and allowed pain to be inflicted on my body such that I wanted to scream out, but I lay there quietly because I knew it was doing me good. I knew it was doing me good. Children, and we were all children once, I assume, we will have experienced discipline. Discipline is painful. That's the whole point. If it was easy, it wouldn't be discipline. But discipline is essential. Hebrews 12, 5 to 7, which I think will flash up on the screen. And you have completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son. 
it says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Discipline is an expression of love so that the children come into the best that life has to offer. So with my children, I attempt to train them and discipline them in order that their character is formed in a good way and in order that they can make good choices in life. Surprise, surprise, God does the same with us. He says, endure hardship as discipline. That means when life gets tough, you could argue it's God expressing his love to us. When life gets tough, God is expressing his love for us because he has the best in mind. There's a third type of pain that is positive, sacrifice. Um, did anyone come across Project Paddington? It's the next slide. It actually started in Sheffield. Project Paddington was this idea that children were encouraged to give away one of their soft toys to um, refugee children who had nothing. That was the idea, basic idea behind the project. And we, were chatting to, we chatted to our kids about it. We said, look, there's this great idea, Project Paniton. And they're like, give away one of our toys. And they said that because it was a sacrifice. It was giving something up that they wanted and loved. But actually, sacrifice means giving away something that hurts for us, for others to benefit. That's a pain, actually, but it's positive. It produces a result. It produces something good. So there's three examples there in life where pain can be positive. So perhaps, actually, we shouldn't just necessarily avoid all pain. Perhaps good can come of difficult times. Good can come of difficult situations. Now, not all pain is good and not all situations Oh, you want to embrace and make more of. You know, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying maybe we just need to change the way we view situations a bit more to see that God can use them for our good. And again, let's look at Jesus. He suffered harm and difficulty and hardship and punishment and execution, even though he was innocent. What did that produce? What well, it produced the saving of many lives. Just like Joseph's life produced the saving of men's lives. His sacrifice produced much for us. And before we start running away from dismissing and saying pain is always wrong, we need to realise that the very reason we can enter the presence of the Almighty God is because someone decided to suffer pain for us. We would be nowhere without the pain and the suffering of our Saviour. So Joseph's assessment is this, that good can come from bad because God is at work. That's what we read in Genesis 50. God is what makes the difference. God is what turns it all around. And for anyone hedging bets at what other reference the Bible I might have used today, I think this one would have probably appeared, and it is going to appear, Romans 8. Verse 28, we know in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 
We have heard that many, many times. We'll have quoted it to people. We've had it quoted to us. It's been a source of encouragement. But what does it really mean? What can we really count on when we read this in the Bible? What difference does it make to us? What does it mean when God says, when the Bible says God works things together for those who love him? Is that all his people in entirety? Is it the church here gathered this morning? Is it me individually? What does that mean? Pick the next slide, Anna, if that's right. Back to Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, anyone know which Joseph that is, by the way? Gareth Gates, straight in there. Gareth Gates, yeah. Thought I might get some Lee Mees, but it's Gareth Gates. Not the real Joseph. Next slide, please. Here's the real Joseph. Look, that's better. <laughs> Joseph. <laughs> some, some may say Philip Schofield. But in our household, it's definitely Jason. Um, there's a line in one of the songs from the musical that says this. Anyone can make it if you get a lucky break. Anyone can make it if you get a lucky break. What a load of tosh. How, is, how has Andrew Lloyd Webber pulled that out of this story? Lucky break, Joseph. Nice one. Got in there. Any dream will do, eh? No, no. God's dreams will do. Not any dream. He gets it completely wrong. It's not about Joseph getting a lucky break. That's not the point. What did Joseph conclude? He said it was for the saving of many lives. Now let me just break into our worldview for a second. Because the way that we see the world... In Western society, primarily, is about how it impacts me. I. So everything we process, everything we look at, we're saying, how does that affect me? So refugee crisis. We primarily process it as, how does that affect me? Oh, there's less jobs for me to get, benefits going elsewhere. That's how we process it. We naturally process it. You look at the media, that's how it processes it. How does it affect me? And we can look at the story of Joseph in the same way and look, wow, this man, even the, G- even the Jesus storybook Bible, I think gets it a little bit wrong. It's all about this man that went through horrendous things and it was difficult. And then he rose up and he was the prince of Egypt. He was the prime minister of Egypt. He was second only to Pharaoh. Isn't it amazing what God can do with people? Yes, it is. But Joseph isn't standing there going, look at me, check what I've done. Look what God's done to me. He's saying, look what God has done out there. He saved many lives. And when we look at Romans 8.28, I just wonder whether there's a broader application to that. And we just need to get out of our little Western individualistic mindset and we conclude that, we kind of go through, oh yeah, I'm going through difficulty, but then God's going to bless me, isn't he? So my difficulty and my challenge means that I'm going to get blessed. Is that kind of transaction, that kind of little equation, mathematical equation? I just don't think it's that simple or that straightforward. And you look at the life of Paul, and he suffered many things. Not that he might be lifted up, not that he might be blessed, but that the gospel might go out and people might be saved. And though Jesus was raised up to the right hand of the Father and every knee will bow before him, I suspect his motivation for going to the cross wasn't to be raised up, but that he might have a people for himself. I've been reading The Heavenly Man. It's an autobiography of um, a Christian in China, a Chinese Christian who was horrendously persecuted. 
tortured in prison in ways that is not appropriate for me to in any way mention this morning. But he, in his autobiography, mentions the same passage, Romans 8.28. And his assessment is this. I have suffered this torture, this punishment, this incarceration, this imprisonment, so these prisoners can get saved. Not so that I can get free. Not that I can get more blessings so that these might be saved. And he's like, that's fine. I'm down with that. That's what it's all about. I'm okay with it. I'm happy to take that, that they might get saved. He sees that passage completely differently to the way we would naturally see it. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't turn things around in our individual situation that we might be blessed and benefited. That happens. I can testify it to in my own life. I just want us to look a bit more broadly about what God might be doing in your difficulty, in your challenge, in your hardship. To look more broadly outside of just your own pharaoh, your own little channel and see more broadly what God is doing. I think Joseph realised this. That God is not primarily concerned with bringing about our happiness. Let me say that again. God is not primarily concerned about bringing about our happiness. That undermines the whole of our society. We need to be radical and countercultural. God is not primarily concerned about with bringing about our happiness. There is nowhere in the Bible we can find this promise. He is concerned about his glory, he's concerned about his people, and he's concerned about caring for and loving us. Yes. But that's not the same as him prioritizing our happiness and putting it as number one on his list. I've also observed that people who are primarily seeking their own happiness usually aren't that content. But those that are seeking God's glory and his kingdom and setting aside their own personal happiness are usually the most satisfied. That's not a formula. That's just an observation. What I'd love us to see this morning is that it is not about us. It's not about you. It's not about me. This life is not all about us. It's not about me. It's about God. It's about his plans. It's about him working good from harm. It's about him turning situations around that the enemy thinks he's got completely nailed and God breaking through and saying, no, I am sovereign. And it's so easy to see God's hands in situations afterwards. I think it was about six weeks ago here during the worship time, we were reflecting on that. I said, who suffered? Who's had difficulty? And we all stick our hands up. Who knew God's hands during that time? We all stick our hands up. But if you're in the midst of it, when you're struggling, when you're down, when life is hard, it's really difficult to see God's hand on it. It really is. Joseph knew it at the end. He knew what God was doing. What God had done, the saving of many lives. But what about the midst when he was in prison? Did he know then? When he was in 
slavery, betrayed by his brothers. Did he know God's hand on him then? Was he saying, oh, this is part of God's plan? It'd be far more difficult for him to arrive at that conclusion in those situations. It's difficult for us. And I don't know exactly what he's thinking, obviously. But we know this. God is at work in our lives. God is at work in our lives. And that may be a statement of faith, but it's definitely a statement of truth. He is at work in our lives. I don't know what you're facing at the moment. Maybe at school, your friends aren't being too kind to you. Maybe they're saying horrible things to you or won't play with you. Maybe they're talking about you behind your back. Maybe you're no longer part of the cool crowd. Maybe in your work situation, you've been demoted. Or you're undergoing disciplinary procedures. Or maybe you've just lost your job. Maybe you're in a relationship that is not working great. Maybe you want to be in a relationship and it's not happening. Maybe you just don't have enough money to make ends meet. I don't know what difficulties or hardships, I don't know what level you're experiencing, I don't know how hard it is for you right now, but I do know this. God is at work. And we need to embrace that as truth and we need to see his hand at work as much as we possibly can because he is at work. I want to finish by looking at Joseph's attitude throughout, taking some hints from the story as to what it might have been that enabled him to rise up in times of difficulties, to follow God's plan in times of hardship. What can he teach us? Now, we can't be certain of his attitude, but there are the circumstances of the story, for me, kind of hint at some things. So he, he went from being a slave to the head of the household in Potiphar's house. And he went from being a, just a prisoner to being the head of the prison. And obviously he went from being in prison to being a prince. Dramatic transformations. And the word of God tells us it was because God's favour was on him. God was at work giving him favour. But I suspect his attitude had something to do with it as well. I suspect that those sort of transformations wouldn't take place with someone who didn't have the right attitude in that situation. So let me suggest a few things that Joseph was not doing. I'll repeat myself because this is my main point of the message. He wasn't making it about himself. He wasn't making it about himself. I think he must have been aware of God's bigger plan somehow, some way. He's got those dreams to cling on to. He's aware of who God is and his history. He must have had a sense that God was doing something, even if he couldn't perceive what it was. And I'd like to think as well that he was submitting himself to God's will. I can't tell you who he was, but I'd like to think that. But we can look at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he was considering, considering the cross. And he said to the Father, he said, let this be taken away from me, this cup, let it be taken away from me. But then he said, but not my will be done, but yours. Not my will, but yours. Jesus didn't make it about himself. 
We sing it's all about Jesus, but he submitted himself to the Father's will. He gave himself freely for us at the cross. He was willing to embrace pain and suffering because it was the will of the Father. That's really complex and really difficult, but it's really true. Really true. In tough times, we need to lift our heads and seek his will. Have you noticed in the Lord's Prayer that our daily bread and what we want is on the way down and that your will be done, your kingdom comes way up there? A little hint about God's priorities. He wants to give you daily bread, but actually, we want to seek his will. I also suspect that Joseph wasn't wasn't wallowing in self-pity, if I can put it that way. I suspect he would have worked hard. I suspect he would have given himself to whatever he had been given in that situation. You don't go from being a prisoner to head of the prison unless you're actually proving yourself. Yes, it's God's favour, but I think Joseph was making the most of every situation he was in because he wasn't making it about him. He wasn't caught up in his own self-pity. He wasn't asking, why me? Why is it always me? Why has it always happened to me, the one who gets betrayed? I had a coat, a beautiful coat, and now I'm here in a prison. Why me? Or, it's not fair. A beautiful (laughs) statement that we're all familiar with as children. It's not fair. It is not fair. Interestingly, on the cross... Those weren't Jesus' words. Because it wasn't fair. It wasn't fair at all. But on the cross, Jesus was making sure that his mother was taken care of. I find that quite staggering that He had every reason just to deal with his own pain, his own suffering, the the challenges he's currently facing. But in the midst of suffering, he's saying, Mother, this is your son. Son, this is your mother. Of course Jesus wasn't wallowing in self-pity. He wasn't shouting, it's not fair. I also think, well, Was Joseph doubting God's goodness? I think he probably did doubt God's goodness at different points in time. And that's okay. We all go through difficulties and we go through challenges. Doubts creep in. But we need to cling on to and know this fundamental truth that God is good. A recent revelation for me is that I think this is the real battleground for us, actually. I think it's the real battleground for us. We just have a slide up. Does anyone know who this guy is? Former England rugby manager, Alistair says non-specifically. Clive Woodward. Clive Woodward. Um, He managed the England rugby team to the World Cup winning in 2003. So we've got a little photo of them, Martin Johnson, 
with arms as thick as his head. Um, I, I had the, the good fortune to be in a leadership seminar with Clive Woodward many years ago. <laughs> Personal invite. <laughs> it was absolutely fascinating because he was talking through why England were the World Cup. Because um, he said we didn't have the best players, we didn't have the best facilities. And he talked about there being two battles. They said, obviously, there's a battle on the field, but there's also a battle in the mind, a battle of belief. And he did everything possible to help them think and know they were the best team in the world. So they had eyesight training, where no one else in the world was doing this. So they'd sit on a computer and they'd, make, they'd try and get the eyesight to be the best reactive eyesight ever, so they could see more and react to it quicker. And Clive, Clive Woodward said, I don't know if it made a blind bit of difference to their, the rugby playing skills, but it made them think they were better. Interestingly as well, he introduced the new, you know, the, the skinny, slinky kits. That was Clive Woodward's idea. He looked at everything possible. How can we get an advantage? How can we make them think they're the best team in the world? And he said, you have to win the battle for belief before you can win the battle on the field. Are you seeing the analogy? It's very, very easy just to fight the battle on the field, the circumstances, the difficulties, the challenges. But when we do that, we sometimes take our eye off the ball and we miss the real battle. The battle of faith, the battle for the goodness of God, the battle for the truth. Ephesians 6.12, I think we've got a... Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We can get so caught up in fighting circumstances and difficulties that we forget to fight the real fight. And we fight that real fight by getting the sword of the Spirit out. That is the word of God. Circumstances try to convince us God isn't good. We fight back with a belt of truth. When condemnation stops us from coming to God, we've got a breastplate of righteousness. When we're stuck in self-pity, God, the gospel of peace gets us moving. Not to mention faith, salvation, and once again, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And these, my friends, are all gifts that God has given us which also fights the battle of self-justification and self-reliance, because it's nothing to do with us. God just gives them. Of course we want to fight situations and circumstances, and we should. We want to fight injustice. We want to bring about God's reign on this earth. We must make sure we're fighting the real fight, the fight for belief, the fight for faith. That is believing God and believing his word. So I just want to gently challenging us this morning, particularly if you're struggling with difficulties or hardships or harm that has been done to you. Are you really trusting God? Are you really believing his word? When we look at Joseph, he actually can't fight his circumstances. His rejection he can't do anything about, the slavery he can't do anything about, the imprisonment he can't do anything about. He can't win those battles. And maybe you feel like this morning, maybe you're in a situation and you can't win those battles. You just can't get out. But Joseph won 
the battle of faith. Whatever you're facing, you can fight and win the battle of faith through God's help if we believe him and follow him. How do we respond to all this? Let me just make some brief suggestions, if that's all right. If you've realized that you have made your life all about you, and you have meandered into self-pity, then may I suggest to you with grace and love that is a sin. Because what it's doing is saying you are more important than God. And therefore that requires repentance, turning away from it. Maybe some of us need to realign our lives, looking again at our life through the lens of the Bible, through the lens of truth, through Jesus' eyes, looking more broadly at what God is doing, rather than just be concerned with our own harm. I also believe that this morning that God wants to recommission many of us. I believe the enemy has tied up many of God's army because of the harm that has been done to them. Even now, you can't believe for more, but God wants to break in today and recommission the broken and the wounded and the bound up and the struggling because none of that stops us from believing God or serving God. Many will rise up today to begin to reach out rather than looking inside themselves. I believe it is a time for change today. And for all of us, May I suggest an appropriate response is to reverse the whole story of Joseph or the passage we looked at particularly. If this life is about living for his glory and seeing many lives saved, Maybe we should be more willing to embrace pain and embrace harm and embrace difficulty. Are we ready to risk more and reach out, even if that means more suffering or difficulty? Are we ready to ditch our reputation? Ditch our promotion, ditch our job, ditch our friends, lose them so that the seeds of the gospel might be sown. I'm not telling you to do this. I'm asking a question to challenge us. If nothing else, the story of Joseph reassures us that in this broken life, God's hand of loving care operates in all circumstances for all of his people. And once again, I don't know what you're going through. But I know God is good. I know that he loves you. But I also know that the enemy intends to cause harm in all our lives. But God is making it good and is about the saving of many lives. That's what I think we can glean from the story of Joseph. And in a few moments... We'll perhaps have time to respond to that. But for now, I think I'm going to invite the band up and I want to pray for us, if that's okay.
Would you like to stand? That would be really great. Father God, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here this morning. We know you've been already operating. We know you've been at work since we've walked into the building and before we came here. But we specifically welcome you here now. We specifically welcome you here now. Let's open our hearts up to what God might want to say to us individually and corporately. Maybe he wants to speak to you, just for you. Maybe he wants to speak to you, for you to share something with the rest of us. Holy Spirit, come. Come and convict of sin. Come and convict us of making it all about ourselves, of wallowing in self-pity, of dwelling in that place which doesn't recognize that you actually are Lord of all. We want to repent of that and move away from that, Lord. We want to realign ourselves with the word of God. We want to realign ourselves with the truth that we've heard about today. And Lord, we want to give ourselves afresh for the saving of many lives. It seems like you've put that out before us this morning, Lord. Just to stir us afresh. To broaden our perspectives. We want to see many lives saved. We want to see many people come to know you. To brought out of darkness and into light, that the blind might see, that the deaf might hear, that those who are lost, heading for hell, but are dragged and rescued, that they might know a loving God who gave his all for them. Lord, help us to not count the cost as too much as we pursue that aim. Father, give us courage to speak, courage to step out, courage to share, courage to do things that we wouldn't ordinarily do. As your spirit prompts us, as you encourage us. We want to do that for your namesake and for the sake of the lost. Amen. Let's sing together.